Um, it's really great being with you here. Uh, some, and I haven't been here for ages. In fact, Steve McGannity was actually vicar last time I was here, and he's now vicar uh, in my church in Christchurch. So he sends his greetings this way. Um, you have no idea who I am, so just let me give you some facts about me in 30 seconds. I'm. I'm um, Uh, a green light is on. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I've got a loud voice. Hello, hello. Oh, it's on. Here we go. That's better. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm what's called a pioneer minister in the uh, Church of England. I've got a wife, four little kids, five, seven, nine, eleven, trying to keep them from sort of growing any older, but I'm sort of failing at that. I... I was born and grew up in Africa, um, parents missionaries for 30 years, lived in a mud hut for, for a few years. I've just moved house. It's the 44th time I've moved. Anybody have come anywhere close to that? Uh, maybe. Um, I, I lived on a narrow boat for 10 years. I, um, I write lots of poetry. I play the, the, the drums. I, I'm terrible at DIY. Uh, genuinely can barely change a light bulb. I'm a lifelong Liverpool fan. It's been a brutal week. Uh, what's made worse is I've got in-laws coming and they're all Man City fans this afternoon, so pray for me, please. It's going to be awful. Anyway, just before we start, let's just pray together um, and invite the Holy Spirit again. Lord, we thank you that you really are here. You are the Lord of all time and space, all history, and yet you are here in this place, in this room. Lord, thank you that you want to speak to your people and you want to move us and change us. Lord, open our ears. We want to hear you. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I tell this story on the Cultivate website. A um, while ago, I was in Wigan in the Costa there, and I was often there for some meeting because it's good environment, great coffee. But every single time I as I went into this um, you know, Costa, I was disturbed by a sign that was up on this wall. I read it every single time. I was disturbed by it every single time. It's burnt into my memory, and it said, not every coffee bean is good enough for us in Costa. Only 1% of coffee beans makes it through. disturbed by it every time. So on this one day, I took a chance because I was the only one in the coffee queue, and I walk up to these two young adults behind these are the counter, and I just blurted it out, and I said, what happens to the 99%? And these two guys looked at me like um, bonkers, but I get that from that same look from my, my wife every couple of weeks, so, so I'm used to it. I push on through, and I point to their sign above their heads, and I say, what happens to the 99% of coffee beans? Because it bothers me. And these two guys turn and look at this sign, and I can tell they're reading it. And then, um, and, you know, one of them turns, and he looks at his mate, and then he looks at me, 
And then he says these stunning words. He um, um, says, we have worked here for ages, and we have never read that sign. We don't know what happens to the 99% of coffee beans. And, th and then he gave a sort of um, you know, embarrassed sort of shrug, and then he said, seems like a waste, doesn't it? Then he went back to um, you know, making his coffee. They hadn't read the sign. They'd walk past this sign maybe a thousand times, and they're so busy making and serving coffee, they hadn't even read it. This amazing loss, this flagrant waste happening under their noses, in their company, in their time, and they hadn't even read the sign. And you know, at that moment, it felt like almost a prophetic sign of what was happening in our churches. In Wigan, where I've been living for the last sort of nine years, only 1% of people are associated with any kind of Christian community at all. And we know that because we've counted them. In Liverpool Diocese, um, in our towns and cities across it, it's between 1% and 2%. Most of us are around 1%. The Church of England has lost half a million regular attenders in the last, um, you know, 30 years. The, the average age of the um, Church of England in 1980 was 37. In 2017, less than 40 years later, the average age was 61. It's even more now. Nearly 40% of churches have no children in them at all. 70% of them have less than five children. In the first two decades of, of this millennium, we have seen another 50% decline in children. And this decline is accelerating nationally in the last five years. We have seen 12% decline in all ages. Children, it's 20%. These are national figures. It's much worse up north here. According to the British Social Attitude Survey, our denomination is declining faster than any major denomination in Britain. It is estimated that, and I quote from their report, with the current rate of decline, it will disappear from Britain in 2033. For them. And all of these stats are before COVID. Of course, it's much worse now. In general, it's another 20% decline after, after COVID. This is the brutal reality of where we are. Jesus told a parable once about 99 people, or sheep, safe in a pen. And there's one out, and, he's at, and he goes out looking for it. In Liverpool Diocese, that's been turned on its head. In Clubmore, there's one sheep in the pen. And there are 99 out where Jesus is out looking for them. And over all our churches in this diocese, over this church, there's a great big sign which says only 1% of people make it here. And we all walk past this sign maybe a thousand times. And if truth be told, most of us have never read the sign. What happens to the 99%? This flagrant loss, this amazing waste, and it's not coffee beans, it's human souls under our noses, in our time, in our town, and most of us haven't read the sign. Hopefully, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, 
And I'm not telling you anything to make you despair. We serve a great God. We still serve a great God. But this is not the reality God intends for Clubmore. It can't be. It can't possibly be. The question is, who is going to turn this around? Who is going to turn this around in this space? And the answer is, you are. Because I believe with all my heart that God is still interested in Club More. He still wants to bring transformation here. And I believe with all my heart that how he does this is not through a couple of superstars or, or a couple of big organizations. He chooses loads and loads of ordinary people. Ordinary and yet extraordinary people. And he puts a call, a vision on their heart. And he says, I want to do it through you. And why is that? Because each of us is carrying seed. Each of us carries seed that needs sowing. Every disciple of Jesus automatically has a bag of seed given to them when they encounter Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to sow it. Your job is to sow it. Sow that seed that, that I've given you. Um, sow it in the lives of, of your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends and, the, and the, um, you know, that person who is difficult in the office for you. Those random encounters, those intentional um, you know, encounters, don't worry so much about your technique. Intent is so much more important than that. Don't worry about the big events or the, the sort of big deeds. Sowing seed is much less dramatic than that, but it needs you to reach into your bag and it needs you to sow it. Seed that lies unsown, it lies dormant, and actually, I've seen it before, I'm sure you have, it rots ultimately. It's actually useless. But, but you know, when we sow seed, especially in good ground, as Jesus taught us in his parable of the sort of, um, um, you know, sower, it's 30, 60, 100 fold what comes through. You know, sowing seed is a trickle. It really is. It's remarkably productive, but it can only happen when we put our hand into the bag, take out some seed, and we sow it. And you know, that is why we are starting this project called Fit for Mission in this diocese. Starting in this deanery, in fact, together with St. Helens. You're at the forefront of this. Our goal is to enable all our parishes, all our church plants, all our chaplaincies, all our fresh expressions, whatever they are, all our schools to, to uh, fulfill God's mission, which is still his mission, to make and grow disciples. And we have four of these goals, four of these mission goals to introduce people to Jesus, to deepen discipleship, to and develop Christian lay leaders, grow justice initiatives. And, you know, we know that the situation in our churches is challenging. We know that. And we know we have seen 55% decline in 30 years in this diocese. We know that. And we know increasingly we have a lack of diversity in our churches. We know there's an increasing burden of admin. We know that many of our buildings are not fit for purpose. You know, we know that even though we've seen 55% decline in attendance, we've only seen 6% decline in our buildings. We know that doesn't add up. And so fit for mission, we are working towards one or two larger parishes in every deanery, which will mean less admin, more time, more focus on mission. We'll, we'll be ensuring that our buildings, all of them, are fit for purpose. 
uh, we'll be creating these kind of teams, local teams of clergy and lay people working together that will have um, real specific roles and oversight over specific areas. This is about enabling local decisions. It's not about the diocese dictating anything. It's about enabling local people to make local decisions. And to help this, we will be sort of setting up these things called core services to help you run this stuff well. And fundamentally, we'll be working towards developing a discipleship culture in this deanery. And I, together with a small group of people, are um, um, you know, running this program called Cultivate, which aims to grow missional discipleship, and it aims to plant new stuff, new communities. And some people are called to lead these new uh, communities. And usually they are the unlikely leader, those who don't imagine that themselves as leaders at all, and yet God is calling them the most missionally effective um, uh, you know, worship community in Wigan is led by a woman who started Cultivate thinking her role was washing up. Genuinely, that's what all she thought she was good for. And yet God called her and drew her out. And she, as she stepped out, she suddenly found she could do this thing that God was calling her to. God uses unlikely leaders. He loves doing that. And maybe, just maybe, that's going to be you. But actually, Cultivate isn't just for new leaders. It's for everybody. Two out of the three outcomes from Cultivate is not actually about leadership at all. Cultivate is fundamentally about growing missional discipleship and about planting new um, you know, worship communities. You've begun this. You've, you've piloted it here in St. Andrews. You want to push on with it and do more of that. It's about enabling missional discipleship in everybody. But I'm afraid, I hear you say. You know, I feel the risk of this new journey. What's going to happen to it? We haven't even got a new vicar yet. You know, what's this journey going to look like, this new season? What's it going to be like? Mission is not easy. In fact, sometimes, oh, that. Psalm 126 tells us, as we heard a few minutes ago, it tells us that we don't just sow but we sow in tears. A while ago, I, I read an article uh, by a, a, a missionary called Del Tar, who was writing something about Psalm 100, 126. And this guy, um, Del Tar, a great name, by the way. I wish I'd called my boy Del Tar. That sounds brilliant. He's a real man, a real missionary. And he worked in a place called the uh, Sahel, which is a stretch of about 4,000 miles just under the... Uh, big desert, Sahara Desert, and I was, was born and grew up right on the edge of that, and so I know that in this place, rain falls between May and, and August, and after that, not a drop of moisture for eight months. For eight months, everything is dry. Everything cracks. Your hands, your, your, your uh, fields, your homes, everything, and everything that is um, and grown has to be grown in these four months of rain. And Delta says in this article that October and November are beautiful months. You know, granaries are full. Uh, um, you know, people sing and dance. They eat two meals a day. It's a great time for them. And then he says December starts to, um, um, you know, come and granaries start to sort of recede. Many families drop that, that morning meal. 
He says, but by January, not one family in 50 is still eating two meals a day. February, even that one meal starts to sort of diminish. But by March, it has shrunk even further, and children start to get ill. You don't stay well on less than one meal a day. And Deltar says that April is a month that haunts his memory. In it, you hear babies crying from hunger in the, the twilight. Most days are passed with only an evening cup of gruel. And then he says, inevitably, it happens. It happens every year. He says, over and over again, a little boy, four or five years old, comes running in and says, Daddy, Daddy, we found some grain. I found some grain hung up in a sack behind a, a sort of shed somewhere. I found some grain. We can eat some grain. And he's, it's Delta says he hears this many times. This, this father sort of looks down at his son and says, son, we can't eat that. That's our seed grain. That's next year's seed grain. It's the only thing between us and starvation. We must wait for, for, for rain, and then we will use it. We can't eat it now. And, and then in May, as those rains finally arrive, uh, and when the, the, the rains arrive, this boy watches his father do something, the, the most unreasonable thing imaginable. Instead of feeding his desperately weakened family who can hardly have one meal a day less than that, instead of feeding them, he takes down this bag of, of um, you know, grain. And Deltar says he sees it many times. He, he, this um, you know, farmer and father takes it out to his field, and it's so painful for him that he weeps over it, and he takes this, this um, um, you know, seed, and he scatters it in barren soil. And why does he do this? He does this because he believes in the harvest. Because he knows this seed is the only thing that will save his family. And he scatters seed in barren soil because he believes in the harvest. He plants in hope in barren soil because he believes in the harvest. And this seed is his it's, he can do whatever he wants with it. And the act of sowing is so painful to him that he weeps over it. And if you hear an African pastor preach on, on Psalm 126, they know what they're talking about. And they say this, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to reap with joy unless you have been willing to sow in tears. And us friends, this, we do what we do because we believe in the harvest still. Even though we're where we are with those brutal numbers I said before, we believe in the harvest because we believe that here in Clubmore, amongst the many places of barrenness and of sorrow and of unredeemed humanity and of suffering people in hidden places and of thousands of people going to an eternity without Jesus, Amongst it all, we believe in the harvest. And for some of us, the act of sowing is so painful that we weep over it. And, and the, the cost and the sacrifice and the uncertainty and the opposition, whatever it is that, that makes you weep, that lack of, of safety and you know, comfort, whatever it is, we sow in tears, but believe me, we will um, you know, reap in joy. We 
do it. We are doing it. We will do it. Here in Clubmore, West Derby, in Liverpool Diocese, because we believe in the harvest. What happens to the 99%? The answer is up to us. Each of us has a bag of seed, unseen but real, that, that you carry around with you, carry it in your hands. Your job is to sow it. It's not easy, but it's actually as simple as that. Whatever time you have left on this earth, your job is to sow it. And though you sow in tears, I promise you, we will reap in joy. Though you go out with weeping, carrying seed, you will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with you. Let's just pray together as we end. Father, thank you that you haven't given up on us. You haven't given up on your church. You haven't given up on Club More or Liverpool Diocese. You haven't given up on the the, the 99% of people who know nothing about you. Lord, we, we are amazed that you have given the responsibility of, of this into our hands. We are amazed at that. And Lord, we are unable. Without your spirit, we know we are unable. And yet with your spirit, we are able. Father, I pray you will once again reignite in our hearts a love for those who are not yet here, a love for those who do not yet know you. Lord, I pray you will help us to hear the call of God anew on our lives and on our hearts. I pray for this church community as it embarks on this journey. Lord God, will you give us the courage to sow sometimes in tears because we know we will reap with joy. I pray for each one here. I pray for each one, um, Lord, in this place that they will again hear your call on their lives. Thank you that you call us the unlikely ones. Thank you that you long to do kingdom work through us. Will you do that again, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.